1: Happy to have you with us on this football Friday ahead of the championship games to be played in the NFL on Sunday. Someone's getting crowned a winner in the NFC and the AFC, and we'll know our Super Bowl matchup by the time Danny and I are chatting with you on Monday. Without further ado, though, let's go to the BetQL guest hotline. Bet smarter to beat the books. Download the BetQL app. Visit BetQL.com. Randy Miller, 2000 Executive of the Year. Uh, With The Athletic, among countless other outlets right now, we love his insight, Try to get him on the show throughout the football season to give us that front office perspective. Randy, thanks for a few minutes and hopping on here in D.C. I want to start with the NFC Championship game. Lincoln Financial Field has become one of the toughest places to go play. How much a factor do you think the environment is in the two-and-a-half points that the Eagles are favored by right now over a Niners team that hasn't lost since before Halloween?
2: Hey, good to be with you guys, and thanks for having me on. I do think you're correct in that it is a tough spot for anybody to go, much less a team with a rookie quarterback, right, that's played six games. So I think that's probably the one question that Brock Purdy hasn't checked the box with, is a ro- road game in a hostile environment. He's sure checked all the other boxes for me, though, so I, I, I am not doubting him one, one ounce. Of course, it's easier when you put the talent around him like 49ers have done, I'm really looking forward to the game because I think it's clearly the two best teams in the NFC. And the the Eagles have been on our radar all season. 49ers, it seemed like, got on our radar once Brock Purdy got in there. And so it's been fun to watch them transform. Both teams are really uh, playing peak level at this point, especially the 49ers. And so it's going to be fun to watch.
3: So for both teams in this game we're talking about here, Andy – they're both stepping up in weight class here, right? I mean, you you don't take away anything away from either of these teams. As you mentioned, San Francisco hasn't lost, you know, since October of, of last year. Philadelphia's been great all year long. But you look at some of the strength of schedule, college football style, and it's not as exactly, that not exactly they've been beating a bunch of heavyweights each week. For both teams, I think this is the best team they've played all year. Which one do you think handles that better?
2: Well, I think that both of them are seasoned. This is an equal game. Both of them have kind of been battle tested obviously san francisco a year ago went to green bay they've won some tough road games the last couple years and we know what philly's all about so i don't know that it really favors anybody you know if this, this was a heavyweight fight the tail of the tape would be pretty even and then sometimes it's how do you react when you get punched in the face and that may be what happens here i think the physicality that the eagles bring is something that i don't think the 49ers have seen a ton of So maybe that's a little bit different from the wins that they've been able to put together. We know the Eagles can run the ball in a power way. Um, I don't know that the pressure the 49ers can put on other quarterbacks really equates against the Eagles' offense because of the way Jalen Hurts can tuck it and run and the design of their offense, really. So maybe that's the one factor we're unclear on, Um, but I don't think it really favors either one, to be honest with you.
1: Randy Mueller on Grant and Danny previously served as the GM in the NFL, of the Dolphins and the Saints, and he's currently running the front office for the Seattle Sea Dragons of the XFL. Uh, Randy, I'm, I'm curious. You mentioned Purdy. I think if San Francisco wins, one of the takeaways is going to be that you can do this with a rookie quarterback, maybe drafting a guy later on, and that feels dangerous to me because this is more about everything else that San Francisco does. I just wonder if you agree with that, or do you think that this will be proof that teams can and should try to replicate this model?
2: Well, I, good luck. If you can draft a guy in the seventh round and have him play like this, I think everybody would take that model. I think there is a little bit of luck involved in that. The good thing the 49ers have, though, is they have veteran pieces around him. Their offensive line has played really good. I mean, obviously you have Debo Samuels, you have Kiddles you have a running game called by Kyle Shanahan. I think that formula itself has lended itself to be very successful even before Purdy took over. I think the, if you can – Draft a rookie quarterback, I think this one has broken the mold, and I keep trying to find out, and I watch the tape after each game, so I don't just see the TV copy. I'm looking to find that fatal flaw, and I have yet to find it with Brock Purdy. The only thing I can probably say is maybe his arm strength is average, and that's probably why he got drafted so late. These teams and, and E- evaluators around the league, when you see pro days and Indianapolis workout, the first thing that jumps out at you and a guy like Purdy as well is average, his arm is just average, but what he does do is he makes up for it by having great anticipation, very instinctive, and pinpoint accuracy and the degree of difficulty of the throws he's making isn't high so I think it all adds up to a pretty good formula. I don't see Kyle Shanahan calling a different game for Brock Purdy than he did with with uh, uh, Garoppolo. So I don't think he's holding back anything. I think he's rolling out the whole offense, which kind of is surprising because you'd think a rookie like this, you would have uh, half of a field reads. You would do some things on rollouts to get him out of the pocket. That's really not what he's done. He has rolled out some, but for the most part, he's processed information from the pocket and delivered the ball on time. So it's hard to to, uh, dispute the results that he's gotten, but I think, it is definitely the uh, not the norm when you draft rookie quarterbacks. That's for sure.
3: Randy Mueller with us here, longtime NFL exec uh, on Grant and Danny. And Randy, when I was when I was younger, I used to play Madden a lot. I turned the difficulty down, and I would try to stat build for my teams in, in franchise mode. They would kind of look like the stats the Eagles put up this year both in terms of sacks which is just unbelievable we'll talk about that in a second but offensively so proficient at running and then a couple receivers ho-hum you know around 1300 yards a piece you know close to double-digit touchdowns where are they best and on that offensive side of the ball like I know they run it so well but they can also kill you in the passing game with some of those big plays where do you think they're most efficient and best suited to attack San Francisco
2: Well, I definitely think the running game is what makes them click, and they throw the ball off of that running game, and it's really the style that comes to mind, first of all, for me. They are a downhill, run it right down your throat type group, especially when the quarterback is really another running back, and that's kind of what they presented each week, and then they throw off of that. There's no question that the quarterback has gotten better at dropping back and throwing the ball from the pocket. They've progressed their passing game as much as anybody in the league right now, and I think that's all based on the fact that they can run the ball, so that's probably the biggest difference. It's almost like, and this isn't uh, disrespectful. It's just that it's almost like a single wing attack. They, when they do throw it, you are wide open, and people they lull people to sleep when they make those throws. So, it's fun to watch. It's much more exciting than I thought this style would be. And I credit Nick Sirianni. I credit Shane Steichen. They have developed a system that this quarterback skill set fits perfectly for, and the kid has been great the last couple of years, especially this year. Yeah,
1: in the quarterback's coach, and his boss, Kafka, the OC, both going to be getting head coaching jobs or interviews over the next couple of years. Uh, Randy Mueller with us on Grant and Danny. All right, let's pivot to the afternoon game. So that, that's a 3 o'clock kick. Uh, I should say, I guess, your, your evening game, 6.30 East time, AFC Championship game between the Bengals and the Chiefs. How much of a factor do you expect Mahomes' ankle to be?
2: Oh, I think it's going to be a factor. I don't think you can get away from that. And I know Kansas City's trying not to make it into a big deal. And even the early parts of practice that have been filmed by the media don't show anything but a fairly normal Pat Mahomes moving around. But I think it's definitely going to be a factor. I think um, the, the, the Bengals will know where Pat Mahomes is going to be. And that makes it tough because they will find ways to pressure him. But what also they do is they, uh, they, they run coverages uh, and execute him maybe at the highest level. I think their secondary may be as good a tackling group as there is. It's going to be a different game with Mahomes not being able to make the wow plays and running around and, and really extending plays. Now, I know we say he's going to play and everybody seems to think he's okay. I think it's going to be a factor without a doubt.
3: What's the best way to counter it? Because obviously Cincinnati's defense is pretty good. They just shoved it on Buffalo this past week. If you're Kansas City, how do you protect that ankle and still be proficient on offense?
2: It's going to be tough. I think what, what Cincinnati may end up doing is they may end up pressing receivers. They want to disrupt timing because they want Mahomes to have to hold the ball. Now, they don't blitz a lot. They have not blitzed a lot, so I don't see that changing. They have pressured with four for the most most part all year long. But I think what you'll see them do is they'll they'll – they play press at the line and, and get in the receiver's face. How Kansas City combat that, I don't know. I think they're going to have to run the ball to be effective, though, and that's easier said than done against Cincinnati's defense. Kansas City's going to have to find ways to control the clock, to keep Burrow off the field, and do some things in the running game that we haven't seen them do consistently all year.
1: On the other side of the ball, when the Bengals have the football with Joe Burrow, Chris Jones coming off of a arguable defensive player of the year-type season at a presser today where he said, I'll see you guys at Burrowhead Stadium as he walked out. Obviously getting some motivation out of the Bengals, talking as if they own the Chiefs. How do you break down Cincinnati's offense and Kansas City's defense?
2: I think it's a fun matchup, and and I don't know that you can do much about Joe Burrow. Everybody keeps saying the Bengals' offensive line has left him exposed. They They haven't been able to protect him. They protected him pretty good last week against Buffalo. I do think Kansas City can rush the passer a little better than Buffalo, so that's going to add some to it. But there seems to be a, something going when Burrow plays the Chiefs. I mean, they're 3-0 against them. He finds people that are open. Jamar Chase has big games. I just think it's going to be hard to shut that part down. I don't know what you do with Burrow because I think there's always more in the tank with Joe Burrow. So whatever you do to him, if you do pressure him, He's going to find a way to exist in the pocket, and then before you know it, he's going to run 15 yards for a first down. So I think he's one of the hardest guys to defend, if not the hardest, because you, he always has a second pitch. You might figure out the first pitch, but he's going to come back with a changeup, and that just goes to the credit of, of really what they're doing. Zach Taylor's done a really good job this year, and I think has grown into being a really good head coach. It's taken some time, but they're executing now at third and fourth level stuff in their offense, and that is always hard to stop.
3: I feel like Joe Mixon is going to have a big game. And I know I'm, I'm overly overweighting. I think, last week, Randy, where he was so good uh, against Buffalo. But I feel like that's the idea, right? You're so afraid of Burrow and that trio of receivers yep. beating you that it'll give chance uh, for Mixon for some of those body blows uh, as you go. Can you see that happening?
2: I do. I think that's a good point. I do think the Cincinnati's going to run the ball a little bit. It's not like Kansas City shut down running game week after week. So I think there's sometimes vulnerability there. But Cincinnati will do it smart. They'll use mixing in a lot of ways. The other thing Cincinnati does is they can throw some short routes, some bubble screens to, to simulate a runny game, and they're going to have to do that as well. I just think both these games, guys, not only is it the best four teams, I think it's the great matchups that we always want to see, and it doesn't always end up to be a great game, but I think in these two matchups, there's going to be some really cool stuff to watch for football fans at at, at levels of expert level, you know, not just basic football. This, these guys are operating at a high level that's as good as any I've seen the last six or eight years in the playoffs.
1: Randy Mueller, former executive of the year in the NFL, multi-time GM with a couple organizations, joining us on Grant and Danny. Brandon Bean made a comment that's gotten a lot of uh, headlines, I'm sure you saw, I think it was yesterday, when he discussed the Bills versus the Bengals. And he said, look, they have the benefit right now of Joe Burrow being on a rookie contract. And essentially said that that's a huge advantage for them against the Bills and some other teams have already paid QBs. We've never seen a top three paid quarterback or top, I think it is four quarterback situation financially, win a Super Bowl. I mean, guys like Roethlisberger and Rodgers and Wilson, they all won before they got paid. And... It's a different world after you pay Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. Curious to see what you thought about the comment from Bean, but also just you know, how hard it is to win when you've paid a quarterback, even though you got to keep these elite guys in your building.
2: Yeah, I, I thought my take on Brandon's comments were, were fact. I think he's telling the truth, and I don't think he was sending a back end and compliment the Bengals way. These builds are all different depending on where you are salary cap wise. It's, It's always the same in that you're allocating resources, and that's the bottom line. You not only have to evaluate, you have to value, and and that's two different things, and you've got to fit them together. I think what Brandon's saying, and I don't think it's an excuse, they did pay Josh Allen. They've paid some people along the way. They've got to find ways to still maybe identify younger, ascending talent to get better. Let's face it, the Bills weren't good enough, and I think they know that now, so maybe this kind of slap in the face does wake them up a little bit, but they've got to be more creative. I think any team that pays a quarterback or that has decided to pay a receiver or two $20 some million, dollars, you've got to be creative with the rest of your cap, and I think that's what Brandon's saying is they do have an advantage because they aren't paying Joe Burrow $50 million a year, but what's coming down the road is, is a train, and, and the headlights are shining bright, <laughs> and Joe Burrow's going to get paid, and so is Justin Herbert and some of these other guys probably this offseason.
3: Randy Mueller with us here on GND. So I think you touched on this earlier, Randy. These are four excellent teams. I don't think we can go wrong with any matchup here, whoever wins these conference championship games. But just for you, in terms of whether it's rooting interest, most fun matchup, contrasting styles, take it wherever you want, what Super Bowl matchup would you most prefer?
2: You know, I don't really have a rooting, rooting interest. I think I always root for the most proficient. I root for players sometimes. I root for coaches, people I see, people I've worked with. So I have a little bit of a soft heart that way. But I, I, I don't think you can go wrong with any 49 er Chiefs matchup because you're talking about different dichotomies. Um, but I'm not going to say that the Bengals-Eagles the Eagles matchup wouldn't be pretty good either. So I really don't – that's a hard one for me. I don't see any of these teams being more attractive to watch on Super Bowl Sunday because of the fact that I think these are the four best.
1: All right, quick change of pace, and we'll let you out on this. But I think this quarterback market this offseason could be – Absolutely robust and a lot of fun. I'm curious if you think there's going to be more bark than bite, though. There's talk about Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, obviously the Niners with Garoppolo and Lance maybe hitting the market, Derek Carr, possibly that Geno Smith, Ryan Tannehill tier, Daniel Jones. Do you think this is going to be an an all-time offseason from a quarterback movement perspective, or do you think it, it sounds better than it ends up being?
2: I think it's going to be a pretty good movement year for sure. I totally agree because I think Brady's going to change teams. I think a, a number of these guys are already going to change teams. You mentioned Derek Carr and I happen to be one who believes Rodgers is going to have a different home at the end of the year either at at the end of the off season. So some big name guys are going to move um, then you've got the Geno Smiths and the Mike Whites, and you mentioned Daniel Jones, but you got Jimmy G. You've got some other guys, second-level players. They're going to be finding homes as well. So I think it will be a pretty good quarterback carousel this off-season. and, of course, that makes our jobs easier, right? We have a lot of stuff to talk about.
3: <laughs> Thank you as always, Randy. Really appreciate it, man. Enjoy the games this weekend.
2: Thanks, guys. Take care.
1: Always wonderful. Love having Randy on. Good to have a former executive of the year breaking things down with us. I actually want to get back to that with you in just a couple of minutes and talk about the quarterback musical chairs that might happen. There was a list compiled I saw online of all the things that could actually be in play. And it's unlike any list going into the offseason we've ever seen. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you this all happens. But the possibilities, all the way down to... The Bears have the number one pick. Uh huh. Their quarterback is Justin Fields. They probably just ride with him and trade back. So that in and of itself, I think, is it's wild, yes. Because someone's going up and getting Bryce Young, probably. But let's say the Bears trade Justin Fields and take that number one pick and use it on a quarterback. You're adding another potential star playmaker at the quarterback position into the conversation. So I think that's pretty fun. Uh, anything stick out to you, though, in terms of what he thinks about these two games most people are saying at this point they kind of feel like Mahomes' ankle is not going to be much of a factor. I disagree with that, so I liked hearing someone who I consider to be way more an expert than me saying, let's not pretend like this isn't a thing. Because I was watching the video of practice from yesterday. Uh-huh. He's moving around okay, it seems like. But if he can't scramble all over the place before he throws, then it's not Patrick Mahomes.
3: Right. He like He's always got that weird... Not non-sport, like not when he's in the game, but he's always got that weird shuffle. He is like, the
1: weirdest run ever.
3: His gait is not like a normal thing, right? When he's just jogging around or walking or whatever, he, it looks like a like an old man that just played seven hours at the YMCA. Say, he you
1: runs know? like a stiff person who's out of shape. Like he, his elbows, his arms are at a ninety degree angle. Uh-huh. His elbows and his like hands are just kind of like flat and kind of barely moving. And then he does a little, like, shuffle walk.
3: Yeah, so, like, his, very his shuffle walk around, you're like, is what's wrong with him? Is he okay? But then, like, in-game, he's he's so elusive and he's quick. He's not sprint speed fast, not world-class. He's not beating, you know, Tyson Gay in 100 or anything. But if he can't make that one little escape, that one quick start, that one plant, that little subtle movement that he is a master of, that's a game-changer for me. So, yeah, that, that was certainly something. And... I like the idea that, I mean, obviously mostly because he agreed with me, but I feel like this is a Joe Mixon game, who didn't put up huge numbers this year for the Cincinnati offense. Because he's the fourth option, and he's pretty good, but their passing game is so good, you really didn't need him all that often. I think he might have another monster game in, in this one. It would be two straight Joe Mixon games. Two straight. Last
1: week was a Joe Mixon game. Yep. I'm just glad to see you've come back around on Joe Mixon after he cost you the uh, confidence points picks pool last year and he forced you into a a really bad punishment. It's a great pull. You and Darius going into the Super Bowl had the exact same picks except for one pick because Mm -hmm. you strategically – It was the
3: three-point play. Yeah, you just took everything Darius did, and then you went opposite his three-point play because you were two points behind him. So whatever Darius said, I was just going to say the opposite, and he picked something that hadn't happened but once over the last four weeks or five weeks or ten weeks or something like that.
1: Joe Mixon over like 63 rushing yards And then, of course, it happened
3: right away. It wasn't even any. Mystery.
1: His first carry was for eighteen yards and yeah. we were all like, Danny screwed. Here we go. <laughs>
3: Handing out flyers with his own picture on it in but front of you're Nats back, Park. Danny,
1: you're back on Joe Mixon after not saying his name for most of this season. After
3: he cost me an awful lot. Oh, it took what year is it now? It's I I needed the rest of the year. Gotcha. I needed eight, nine months to get over
1: it. Twenty twenty three. Yeah. Joe Mixon. I can back. say it. Could this actually turn out to be the biggest quarterback movement off season ever? Or do you think it's going to be much ado about nothing? We'll run through all the possible machinations of the stars, but we'll open up the phones on this as well. 800-636-1067 if you want to join us on the MGM National Harbor Listener Lines on Grant and Danny.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.